Back in, back in the in, in uh, many decades ago, the church church like what we serve in and what what we're part of a church family um, kind of inherited from responsive readings from what's called the high church or the liturgical church doesn't make it any better any worse just a different style of church would have oftentimes responsive readings. And so when you would go into church, if you were new, you wouldn't know what was going on because the preacher or the pastor would say something and the whole crowd would respond something and you're like, I, you'd lip it, right? Because you didn't know what, you, what was going on. And that's okay because that was part of the church culture. Well, out of that came a responsive kind of recitation that churches across denominational boundaries use. And that is what I just said, where the preacher, the teacher, the leader, somebody says, God is good. The crowd responds all the time. And then the preacher says, and all the time. And the crowd says, God is good. Let's try this. God is good. And all the time. Have you ever doubted that before? Don't, don't say no and be that super spiritual giant because you're just gonna repel me is what you're gonna do. Because if you're like me, you have definitely doubted that statement. There have been times and seasons in your life where you've wondered, where you've doubted the goodness of God. I know as a Christian, we're not supposed to doubt. We're supposed to have faith in the goodness of God. But I wonder if I can be very transparent if you're a little bit like me, where there have been times where you've doubted a moment that you experienced and it just didn't seem to be fair, didn't seem to be right, and you thought, God doesn't feel very good right now. Here's what I know in my walk with God. He would rather me tell him that than hold it in and fake it. He'd rather me bring it out of the darkness of my heart into his marvelous light than me just to pretend. I'm not sure that God likes pretenders. It might have been a time when you lost a job. Maybe it was the time when your parents divorced or someone betrayed you, your spouse betrayed you or a family member. Maybe it was a time when a loved one died. Might have been when you asked the question, God, why won't you take away these migraines from me? Maybe it was, why am I still battling with my depression? Or why won't you take this temptation away from me, God? Maybe it's just an ordinary everyday kind of moment when you're thinking, God, I'm trying to do what's right. I'm, I'm going to church pretty faithfully. I, I read my Bible or my YouVersion app. I'm trying to be faithful at reading your word. I try to be nice to people. You don't know how big of a deal that is for me, but I'm trying to be nice to people, right? I'm trying to do what's right, God, but I'm just not very happy. I, I kind of thought that by this point in my life, I'd be a little bit, a little bit happier than, than I am. Or maybe if it's not those issues, maybe it's something like more global in your life. And the, the global issue might be something like, God, where are you when children are starving? God, what's going on with all the wars? Or, or maybe you're wondering, God, why do innocent people suffer? If you've ever wondered a little bit about the goodness of God, and if you haven't, oh, you will. But if you've ever wondered about the goodness of God, today's message, and over the next few weeks, I think is gonna be for you in a series that I'm very excited about entering into, that is not a 101 level Christianity series. 
This is a little bit higher level for us to contemplate and to think about. And over the next few weeks, we're going to try to address what I want to call the elephant in the church. It's the question, why, 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 why? For today, the question is, why did God let it happen? Don't be concerned with what it is for somebody else because you know what it is for you in your life. Why did God let it happen? So Father, today we come before you, we pray as we open up your word that your Holy Spirit would do the work. God, do a work in the hearts of those who are questioning and in those of us who are struggling, people that are hurting, even in the middle of pain and disappointment. God, help us to see your goodness. We pray this in the name of the one who is good, Jesus Christ, and everybody said amen, amen. and amen and amen. Before I go, go on, I'd like to do a commercial here. I want you to know that your pastor represented yesterday at the Dream Center in Modesto where we had a cornhole tournament. And the cornhole tournament was serious. We're cut, we're doggy dog, we're, we're, we're crazy. And I brought home the gold medal and I'm telling you, that's kind of exciting, isn't it? Yeah, there was between four and 500 people there. Uh, if you literally mean four and 500, there was, it was a, anyway, we had a great time. So now we get back. Why did God let it happen? I, this is a question that's been around since the beginning of time. Why did God let it happen? And it's typically connected with three things, pain and suffering and evil that we experience in this world. And, and in fact, if you go back 300 years before Jesus, that's a long time ago, 300 years before Jesus, there was a, a, a Greek philosopher named Epicurus, and Epicurus was grappling with and wrestling with this very question, the nature, concerning, uh, nature of God concerning good and evil. And he, had, he came out of this, he had two statements and one question. And I thought, well, this would be kind of interesting for us to talk about or explore for just a second. And the first statement he said is this, if God is not able to prevent evil, then God must not be all-powerful. Now, I want you to, we gotta think today. If, if, let me say, if God is not able to prevent evil, then God must not be all-powerful. That was his first statement. His second statement was similar. He said this, if God is not willing to prevent evil, then he must not be all-good. And this philosopher then took these two statements and funneled them into one question, and here's his question. If God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist. Now, you may not have asked these questions in a philosophical manner like, like Epicurus did, but I know that we've all had um, questions similar to this, thoughts similar to this in our life. The question that we kind of really funnel this into is, why did God let it happen? The Bible does not say that, that avoid, we avoid pain and evil and suffering in this world. In fact, as you read through the Bible, the entire Bible, you'll discover countless expressions of anguish and confusion and rage and suffering and pain. A couple of examples in the Old Testament, we've got this prophet named Jeremiah. He was known as the weeping prophet. He, he prayed and prayed and prayed. He was full of great grief. Why was he full of great grief and, and suffering? Because he was grieving over the unrepentance of the people. God, you brought me here. I'm trying to tell them. I'm trying to show them the way. Why? Why won't they turn to you? David, David, a champion in the Old Testament. He was a man after God's own heart. He worshiped God. He trusted God again and again and again. And he cries out to God, even though he was a man after God's own heart, God, are you listening? Do you even care? Why won't you come to my defense in my times of trouble? 
This is what we read in the Psalms, this anguish that David is going through. Flip over to the New Testament, there's a guy named John, John the Baptist, cousins of Jesus. In fact, he prepared the way for Jesus to come. And he was preaching repentance and, and, and declaring that the Messiah is coming, the one whom I'm not even worthy of tying his sandals. Jesus comes and it's a powerful thing. But John then begins to undergo all kinds of, of, uh, uh, of attack in his life. He was wrongly accused of something. He was put in prison for something he did not do. Now he's waiting on his execution. Jesus could have come and delivered him. Jesus could have unlocked the gate and let him out. But instead, Jesus did not. And John was beheaded. His, his, he was put down on the block, and while he was still alive, his head was cut off. And I wonder if while John was in that prison cell, if he wasn't thinking to himself, um, hello, where you at, Jesus? God, why have, you, why have you turned your back on me? Where in the world are you, God? Anguish and questioning, why did God let this happen? Perhaps the most personal and profound one that I want to talk to you about today is from the Old Testament. It's about a prophet named Asaph. Asaph was a prophet who happened to write 12 of the Psalms. Asaph wasn't just a prophet, he was also a, a poet. Um, he was very gifted with and eloquent with his words. He was also an extremely talented singer and musician. He was the leader of the choir tabernacle back in the Old Testament. He was the worship leader, if you will. He was the pastor trinity of the church. He, that's who he was. And if you look in the Psalms, the book of Psalm uh, 73, the th 73rd Psalm is where we're gonna hang out today. Asaph was very close to God and yet he said these words. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. In other words, I was starting to fall. I was starting to stumble. He was complaining. His complaint was, why do the wicked seem to prosper? They seem to get all the blessings. And he didn't understand, where is God in the middle of this unfairness? You ever wondered that? Why do, why do, why do good people die young? and not so good people get to live a longer life. We wonder things like that, and so did he. So jump down to verse number 11. He goes on, um, they say, how, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? <laughs> Does he know anything? You ever felt like that before? Do you even see, do you, do you have a, any clue, God, what's going on? I am telling you, it's okay to express those feelings to a God that can take it. You are not being sacrilegious. You are not being heretical. You're being honest. You're being truthful with God. And then he says in verses 12 and 13, this is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure. <laughs> in vain, do you get that? I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. In other words, look at these wicked people enjoying life with ease all around them. Their riches seem to multiply over and over again. He's asking this question, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason whatsoever, God? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning, oh, it brings me pain. 
That's, that's where Asaph is at. This is this great God-fearing worship leader that is wondering, where's God? Why did God let it happen? And so for the next few moments, what I'd like to do is I would like to kind of wrestle with some very, what I'm calling weighty questions. Some questions that you may have had or you may have in the future. And I wanna tell you up front very clearly, I do not have clean cut answers for all of these questions. And that can be kind of frustrating, but I'd like us to wade into these questions and I would like for us to think. All too often we check our brain when we come to church. And I don't want you to check your brain, I want you to think, really process this and think. For example, one of the most common questions that you're gonna hear asked, you may have asked this, is if God is good and loving, then why would he allow suffering? It's a fair question. It's okay to ask that question. If God is good God, then why would you let someone who didn't do anything wrong go through what they're going through? Why would God allow this to happen? And here would be my answer, and this will be the only question I'll really offer a concise answer for. If love is a choice, suffering is a possibility. If it's possible to love, it's also possible to hurt. Why? I'm gonna to try to explain it logically and try to explain it, explain it scripturally or, or biblically for just a moment. We've gotta understand the only way that love is possible is to have the choice to choose to love. If you don't have the choice to choose to love, then it is not love. The theological term for this is called free will. What does free will mean? It simply means the ability to choose, to choose love or to choose hate, to choose what is right or to choose what is wrong. And that's the ability to choose is what makes evil and suffering possible. You see, God gave us free will because that's the only way that love is possible. If he didn't give us the ability to choose, then we could not choose to love him. God doesn't want a rock, he doesn't want a robot, he wants a relationship with his children. He wants us to receive his love, then he wants us to choose to love him back, not for what he does for us, but for who he is. The challenge is this. Hmm. In order for us to have the freedom to choose to love, we also have to have the freedom to choose that which is evil. And when we choose evil, we choose what the Bible calls sin. And sin will separate you from God. Amen. What else does sin do? Sin causes pain and suffering in this world. So for God to remove evil, to remove pain, which we want him to do, to remove suffering, which we want him to do, what he would have to do is, is he would either have to remove our freedom to choose or he would have to remove us. And one day, what a glorious day that will be. We will be removed from this old world and this present darkness. But for now, God will not take away from us the power to choose because he will not remove from us love, which means he will not remove from us pain and suffering and evil in this world. Hmm. The question that most people maybe don't ask but probably should ask is this question. If there is no God, then who decides what's evil? If there is no God, who's gonna decide what's right? Who's gonna decide what's wrong? That, that people, now in the church, well, we don't well, there. of course there's a God. I mean, we're in church. But outside these four walls, 
This is the argument you're going to hear from people. The, 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 the comment, the, the premise is always going to be there is no God. How many of you have a brother or a sister? Anybody have siblings? Uh, a few of you, almost a lot of us do, right? Sure. Okay. Let me just tell you, because I'm a prophet, let me just tell you, I'm kidding. Let me, let me just tell you what happened in your home. Or if you're a parent, you know, you know exactly uh, that I'm telling you the truth. This is what happens. You have brother, sister, and you fight. You, you fight. You just, if you say you never fought, you're, you are such a liar. You fought, you fought, you fought, right? And, and you, you, you tussled and you, you argued and whatever you fought, and you do what good brothers and good sisters do. And one of you would say, stop it. And the other one would say, I'm telling and would get up and beeline it for mom and dad as fast as the little booty could run. And your counterattack was always this, I'm telling. And you would try to take the shortcut over the coffee table to try to get to mom and dad first, to plead your case, to tell them how much your brother or your sister was wrong. And this happened over and over and over again. What if there were no parents? What, what if there were no rules? then who would be there to tell you what was right and what was wrong? There has to, I mean, what I'm saying is there has, to have, there has to be an authority in order to have a standard. So if, if, if there is no God, then there is no moral point of reference. If there is no God, who determines what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil? So here's the truth. If we are honest and we have integrity and we look at this issue, we cannot use the presence of suffering and evil as proof that God does not exist. In reality, the fact that we believe in evil and in suffering is more proof that God does exist. And I know I've lost some of you already, and that's okay. I want you to check back in with me right now because we're going to go on. It raises another question. And I wrote a message about this. I've preached it probably a dozen times or more in my ministry. Why do bad things happen to good people? We ask that question, and I, I've got a list of seven reasons why bad things happen to good people. And still preach the message because I still think there's good truth in it. But now I think I've got a deeper understanding of the question. Like one of the answers to this question might be from my perspective, just to remind us, please leave the question up there, to remind us that we're not home yet. That's a good, good answer to the question, right? But the truth is when we look at this question, which we're gonna leave it up there, we have to understand that the Bible teaches us that we are not good. Amen. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, apparently it hasn't happened to any of us because we're not good. None of us are good. There is only one that ever was good on the planet, and his name is Jesus Christ. So why do bad things happen to good people? The truth is, something bad only happened to someone good one time, and Jesus volunteered for it. The innocent one who never did anything wrong took the punishment for our sins. He is the only one who is good. Jesus was mocked as a bastard child born into poverty to an unwed mother. He was rejected by his family. He was abandoned by his friends. He was falsely accused when he did nothing wrong. He was wrongly imprisoned. Jesus, the only one who was good, was beaten and tortured and stripped and he was hung naked shamefully on the cross. And the worst thing 
The worst thing of all is the one who is good, the Lamb of God became sin for you and me. The innocent one, Jesus, took the sins of the world so that we could be forgiven. Jesus did all of this for us. And in doing so, what was it that Jesus did? He was separated from his Father because he became sin on our behalf. After a lifetime of perfect intimacy with God, with his Father, Jesus was separated from that intimacy. And he cried out at the top of his voice, just like you and I just may have cried out in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out when he's hanging on the cross in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sekbachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe he could say it this way, where'd you go, God? Where you at, God? Why does it feel like you've left me? I've done nothing wrong. I have served you faithfully. I have been obedient in every single way. We may say this, but we're lying to ourselves and to God. But Jesus wasn't lying. He was obedient to God in everything. I loved you. I've lived for you, my God. Why? Why? Jesus did that for us, he did that for you, he did that for me, he felt more pain than we could ever feel, and God the Father, God the Father watched his innocent son suffer. So why does God allow, why does God allow pain and suffering? To the point that you just, you'd be just fine if a drunk driver struck your car because you don't want to live anymore. Why does God allow that kind of suffering? Why would God allow suffering? Why are you going through what you're going through? Why doesn't God do what he could do in your situation? I don't know with great clarity the answer to these questions, but I do know what the answer is not. And the answer is not that God does not love you. Because the Bible is ridiculously clear when it comes to you about the love of God. For God so loved the world. You, put your name in that that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God loves you so much. He loves you. He sees the misery. He sees the suffering. And he takes it so seriously, so seriously that Remember, God sees time all at once. So to you and me, it was 2,000 years ago that Jesus died. To God, it's right now. The future is right now and the past is right now because it's all at once. So God already saw your pain and suffering. He took it so seriously that he was willing to give his only son 
to take it for you because God knew that it's gonna take death to have a resurrection. God knew that it's gonna take hurt to have a healing. He knew that it's gonna take loss to find victory. It's gonna take bondage to experience freedom in your life. The Bible doesn't say you're not gonna have a hard time. It doesn't say you'll never hurt. It doesn't say you won't go through something unfair. The Bible says that we're gonna suffer. Hey, welcome to new life where it's always good news, right? The Bible says that we are gonna have suffering in our life. But the Bible says something, something better is coming. Revelation chapter 21, second to last chapter in the whole Bible. Verse number four, he will wipe, this is Jesus. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That, that's the promise that we have, that, that, that something better is coming. Imagine, imagine in his presence, no more loss, no more sickness, no more rejection, no more heartache, no more shame, no more grief, no more depression, no more abuse, no more crying yourself to sleep at night, no more pain. But we're not there yet. We still live in a sin-stained world where love is possible, but so is evil. That's why we need to do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. Because, Because without the hope, without the hope, what do we have left? I can't answer the questions. We may never know on this side. And that's why it can be easy to conclude that God must not be good. But here's what we know to be true. When you walk with Jesus, when you feed on his word, when you learn to trust in his presence, when you, when you let him, and a lot of people don't do this, but when you let him comfort you in the middle of your grief, let me say that again. We just want to gripe and complain and whine and feel sorry. God will listen to it. He is such a patient counselor. But when you're done, if you will allow him to comfort you in your grief and to hold you close and to hold you tight, I have discovered in my life that that is when he gives me the peace that doesn't make any sense. And you begin to see his people, his church, as peculiar as we are, as flawed as we are, what happens is you begin to allow his church, his representation to surround you. God may not feel good in your darkest moments, but if you walk with him over a lifetime, you will see his faithfulness. You will conclude with me that God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. You will do that. Asaph, I gotta, gotta wrap this up. Psalm 73, hey, I wanna get back. Remember Asaph, the worship leader? Does God even know this is happening? He's asking the question. You gotta really get in context. This is supposed to be a, a spiritual leader in the church. And he's asking the questions, and I'm sure people are going, oh, snap, he shouldn't be asking those questions. But he's asking the questions anyway. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Yeah, I got trouble all day long. Morning brings me nothing but pain. And this is what he said after he walked with God faithfully in verse 16 and 17. When I tried to understand all this, 
it troubled me deeply. It really bothered me. I mean, it caused me all kinds of frustration. I tried to understand all this. I didn't get it until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. I love the honesty. What he's saying here is it bothered me. It didn't seem fair. It troubled me deeply till I entered the presence of God. And when I got into the presence of God, I experienced God, what we experienced this morning at the church, what you need to experience on a daily basis. You wanna know something? You wanna know the reason I don't call this a sanctuary? It's because I don't want to get you confused. I'm not trying to be on trend. This is an auditorium. You can be ticked off at me if you want to, but this is the sanctuary. That's the sanctuary. This is a room. Now there's something special. All four of my daughters got married here, dedicated my grandbabies here. This is a very special room to me, right? It can be a special room to you. I've experienced so much at these altars, crying out for you, seeing God do miracles. It's a special room, I get it. But I'm not worshiping the room. I am, I am the presence of God. I am the carrier of the presence. I am the tabernacle. You are, you are the church. So I want, you to, I want you to know that without a doubt. And when you get in the presence of God and you experience his goodness, you will understand that his grace will sustain you. And Asaph the prophet said, you're gonna, you're, this is gonna sound familiar because it's like, wow, how did he know the words we were gonna sing to a song one day? Anyway, we're gonna look at this in Psalm 73, verse number 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I didn't understand it. I didn't like it until I entered the sanctuary, the presence of God. So I came here today to tell somebody that the problem with evil and suffering, it's not contrary to the Bible. It is central to the story of the Bible. And more than anything else, Christianity makes sense of it. It gives meaning to it. It offers a solution for the evil and the suffering that we experience. So if you're going through suffering right now and you're hurting, here's what we want you to know. God hurts with you. And it may feel like it, it may be the worst thing in your life. Guys, if you were sitting down with me and we were having a cup of coffee, and I was allowing you to share with me all of your hurt, all of your pain, all of your trauma, whether you caused it or somebody else caused it. After you got it all out, I'd probably tell you something like this. It may be the worst thing in your life. But when you look back on this in a few days, a few weeks, months, or even a few years, when you look back on this, you're going to say, this was the worst part of my life. You're probably going to say, I wouldn't want to ever go through that again. You're probably going to say, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy so hard but you're also probably going to say but in the middle of that pain and heartache I experienced the presence of God and somehow 
somehow God did use it. He didn't cause it, but somehow God did use it to help me and to help other people. So if you're hurting and if you're wondering, where is God? I'd like to remind you that you're living in a space called the not there yet. We're not there yet. But the good news is by the grace and power and glory, the goodness of our wonderful God, something better is coming. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Let's pray. In fact, while your heads are bowed, if you're hurting today, you're suffering today, right now, just lift your hand to God and say, uh, God, you know what's happening. This really bites. I'm hurting. God, I can't even imagine the weight and the pain of what your children, God, are experiencing right now. God, my heart is heavy. God, I know that you hurt when your children hurt. And God, as a human being with limited mindset, I wouldn't even attempt to offer a reason why, but God, I would cry out to you and even at times I would agree and say, I don't understand why you let this happen. But at the same time, we want to dwell in your sanctuary. We want to dwell in your presence and push into it. And I ask God in the name of Jesus that in the middle of the hurt, in the middle of the heartache and the grief and the pain that you would start to reveal your goodness. God, you're with us. And so I pray for miracles today. I pray for provision and I pray for healing and restoration. I pray for peace from heaven that goes beyond our human ability to understand. And God, we're asking you. And when we ask you why, we don't understand. We thank you that you're a God that lets us come to you. Help us cling to you and trust in you even when we don't understand. God, I pray that over a lifetime of walking with you, even though we may hurt in the moment, we would conclude, mighty God, that you are truly good. Put our trust in you, God. With heads bowed and eyes still closed, I wonder if there's some folks here today or watching online that maybe as you are honestly acknowledging you don't know God personally, you don't know where you stand with God today. I mean, you know he loves you, but the question is, do you love him for who he is? Have you, have you invited him into your life? Have you repented of your sins? Have you, have you told him that you'll serve him and then you've followed through with that? Not a perfect life, but an obedient life and you've tried to stick close to God. If, if you're not sure, then I've got the answer for you. And it's not an indictment, it's an invitation. It's God says, listen, you can't, you can't join a church. You can't give enough money. You can't teach enough classes. You can't attend enough gatherings. You, 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 you can't do enough good things for your neighbors. You can't earn anything from God. Certainly not his favor. But what you can do is you can freely receive from God the gift that he has called salvation. In other words, he's gonna give you eternal life when you close your eyes in death and he'll give you abundant life here on this earth. It doesn't mean you'll avoid suffering, but it means that as tears are flowing down your face, as you stand at the graveside of someone who died too prematurely, that you can say to the Lord, uh, in the middle of this heart, heartache I'm experiencing and pain that I'm, I'm going through and loss that I really do feel, God, I still feel peace. I still feel joy, it's unspeakable, it's full of glory. That's the presence of God, it's the abundant life that we can live with. And so if you don't have a relationship with God or maybe you turned your back on Jesus and you said, I'm gonna do my own thing, 
I'm going to do it my way. Jesus is saying, won't you let me back in? I'm patient. I've been pursuing you. I'm chasing you. I'm never going to give up on you. It's time to come back to God. So I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, it's your day to give your life to Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if you've done this before. If you feel you need to give your life back to God, then respond to him today. And when I get to three, I'm going to ask you to stand. Like take a stand for your faith. Jesus stood for you. You can stand for him. One, two. Nobody's looking around. I know what's going on in your gut right now. You're like, I don't want to do this, but I need to do this. Are you ready? Let's get free today. Three, stand to your feet right now and let's just receive what God has for you today. It's time to be set free. It's time for God to do a work in your life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, if you're standing, I want you to stretch your hands up to heaven and pray this prayer after me out loud. Dear God, Please forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart, fresh and anew. I give my life to you. You're my Lord and you're my Savior. I need your help, Jesus. I turn from my old life and I embrace the new life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Everybody stand all over this place if you would, please. God has been so good to us. He's been so faithful to us. He is a wonderful God. And as we're grappling in this series, do you ever wonder why? I hope that you'll get some questions answered. I hope you'll learn some things and you'll grow in your faith. God is good. And all the time, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. Hallelujah.